This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Rosenberg and Parker, LLC. Hello, and welcome to Dana Being Dana. I'm Dana Michelle, and I'm thrilled you're with us. My show is about all different aspects of the human connection, things that bring us together and living life intentionally. Recent years have resulted in losses of all kinds. The loss of a spouse or a partner can be one of the most profound losses experienced. Today, I'm joined by four friends of mine who have graciously agreed to share their stories. Thank you all so much for being here. Please tell us about your loved one and their untimely passing. Sarah, I'll start with you. I, I lost my husband, Scott, uh, two and a half years ago. We uh, had two children, and at the time they were ages five and almost two. Um, and it was a really unexpected um, situation where I uh, went in for a routine endoscopy, um, was perfectly healthy, and a rare complication came up and caused severe pancreatitis. And um, I didn't know anything about the pancreas or what pancreatitis was like, but it was very severe and um, he had a very difficult time in the hospital just recovering with that. And in the hospital for several months, ups and downs, a lot of downs. And um, unfortunately, we lost him after a surgery in July of 2020. And how old was he? He was 36. 36. Yeah. Marlon? Yeah, I was married for nine years um, to a wonderful woman named Diana. And I lost her in August of 2015 from breast cancer. She had struggled with that disease for about four years. At the time, we had two children who were then, my son was seven and my daughter was five years old. And um, it was expected, but when people have illnesses like that, often the dips um, that we just heard Sarah describe are sharper and more severe than you can even anticipate and plan for. And then that was compounded, unfortunately, by the fact that in 2015, I lost my father a few months earlier mm -hmm. from Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS. And then even in January of that year, um, one of my two former brother-in-laws was tragically killed in a car accident. So mm -hmm. it was really a culmination of a, an unfortunate season of grief mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Abby? Uh, my partner, Jason Morales, went into the hospital December 27th, so it was just a few days after Christmas. Um, and he really, he was just, he was very healthy previous to this, he had no complications, actually just got a full exam just a few months before that. Um, but he was having a hard time breathing, so I had called the ambulance, got him in the hospital, and it was just a series of unfortunate events that happened um, right after that. So it was um, a tumulus month. So from December 27th to his passing, which was January 26th of this year, um, my world just turned upside down. We just had a baby. She was three months old when he went into the hospital. So I was, I was just really struggling to make sense of everything yeah. that was happening. Bob? I lost uh, my wife, Donna, uh, at age 40. Um, she uh, had breast cancer to begin with. Um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer um, 
when she, we, she was expecting our third child, our son Jacob. She's pregnant. She was pregnant. Um, and um, a very surreal experience going into the chemo room with your wife hooked up while she's wearing maternity clothes. Right. But wow. luckily there, has, there was a chemo regimen in place that wouldn't harm the baby and would help her. So we went forward and she fought it long and hard for five and a half years. Um, um, she was in remission, everything looked good and then it came back on the brain. And that was just, uh, just, just nasty. And so we lost her um, January 3, uh, 2001, and the children were five, eight, and 14 at the wow. time. Wow. All of you have lost your loved ones, um, with children at such young ages, and we'll talk a bit about that later on. But I first wanna talk about you all. Um, and what did you first think of grief counseling initially? What was your initial experience? Uh, what didn't work well? When I started out with the grief counseling and trying to do some sort of grief group, mm-hmm. uh, I quickly realized that there was no one else in my age range. And the people in that room had, had suffered great loss, no doubt, and had been you know, married longer than my 18 and a half lucky years. But it just didn't feel the same. It didn't feel right. I felt kind of out of it. Meaning they were much older? Much older, than yes. Than you were. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, it's like normal lifespan older right. type thing. So, so it's, it's different, I think, yeah. to, to lose... Very much. Um, so young. Um, anyone else? I think having a loss during COVID was uh, another difficulty where groups were not meeting. Um, a lot of therapy was virtual and maybe not able to connect as deeply with, with a therapist. So for me, that support system and, and support groups were just not available during the pandemic. Yeah, and I think not being able to have those touch points um, in person really matters. Sometimes your support system in grief isn't who or what you would normally expect. Tell us about your support system experience and what you have appreciated about it. Well, I think for me, one of the things that happened was my wife had been a really dynamic person in fabric of various communities. And so my children were in a private school then in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and those moms, right? So I, as a dad, had never been a part of those moms groups, but the mothers and fathers um, at the school really stepped up. So whether I needed time for a play date or I had to go out of town for work, um, people who hadn't really known me but had known her really surrounded us with care and support. That's great. That has been my experience as well. Jason Morales was a Russian tour, and so he had multiple restaurants he owned. And through this, he had created a community with people. He was a part of the community. And throughout my grief process, it has been a village that has come together um, to, to ease my pain, to just kind of check in. I would get random messages through Messenger or just a text from random people I never knew, and they would just say, hey, you know, I'm really sorry you're going through this. We know how much connection you and Jason had. And I remember this one guy actually messaged me on Messenger just randomly, and he had said something so profound to me that really gave me um, a sense of peace. And he said, if Jason had a choice, Abby, you know he wouldn't have left you. Mm. And, And that gave me such peace yes. and it was just from a random person it's beautiful and it's interesting that it came from someone someone random mm-hmm. and for you to find that peace I think people often want to know how to best support people who are grieving 
what can you tell folks who are tuning in about, about how to best show up? You know, I'm not even sure, but yeah. just be there. Yeah. Um, um, it's very difficult for the individual to reach out, mm -hmm. but sometimes we just need that extra something. And you know, I was blessed that I have a good circle of friends that uh, have been with me and my wife had wonderful friends because she's such a wonderful person and they would keep in touch with me. So that, that was very nice, yeah. very helpful. Mm -hmm. I think um, one of the things that overwhelmed me is when people would ask me, how are you? And to me, that question was upsetting because yeah. I'm, I'm not okay. Right. And so for you to ask me that, it just, it, tr it was a trigger for me. No, mm -hmm. I'm not okay. Can you please not ask me that question? Can you instead, you know, um, just ask me how to or do something that will brighten my day. Mm -hmm. But don't ask me how I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, be present. Yeah. I think often when people ask, how are you? It's well-meaning, but it also suggests they don't know what the experience is like. Right. And so to have this sense of someone wants me to give them some insight into a very profound experience that they've not experienced, um, that yes. feels selfish on their part. But when people are just there and yes. say, Marlon, you know, we're making dinner this weekend, we're having guests, can we bring over some food for you? Right? Perfect, yes. That's doing something. And mm -hmm. so I think when people just show up and do things that are helpful, um, that matters more than trying to find the right words to say. Who cares for the caregiver? A lot of you were caring for loved mm. ones um, when they were ill in the hospital or, um, or not. What types of self-care do you employ for your own therapy? So I actually went on a weekend meditation retreat to reset myself. Mm. And I cried and I slept and I meditated and that was just such a safe space for me and it, it really did great for my rejuvenation yeah. and just bringing myself back into life. I think processing the emotions is so important. Mm -hmm. Sarah? Yeah. I think getting out of your current environment when in the routine of, you know, having to care for the kids in the house and everything by yourself is really overwhelming. And um, for me, travel has been wonderful to just have a different environment and a different set of um, experiences that I don't normally have to reset me like Abby had shared. And um, it's been a wonderful way to just um, focus on myself. I never thought I'd like to do solo travel, but it's something that I've really enjoyed the last two years. And one thing um, you mentioned that Scott uh, was a filmmaker mm -hmm. and um, the production team that worked with him at the time of his passing invited you to a trip to Hawaii in, on short notice. Yes. And what was your first answer? <laughs> Uh, I said, no, I, yeah. I can't leave. No. I can't do this. Uh, just mm -hmm. don't even, I can't see straight. I can't, I don't know what's going on. I can't leave my kids. And, um, but it just nagged at me. And yeah. then my friends and family too were like, you have to go. Like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. You can uh, get to know the filmmakers that Scott surrounded himself with. And worst case scenario, it's a, a trip to get away and, and, and help you heal a little bit. And, and was that restorative to you? It was. It was yeah. not only wonderful to connect with people that knew him so deeply, um, they just knew how to be there for me. It wasn't about, you know, the, the empty promises or the how are you's. It was just, we want to we wanna be with you and, and support you and show you that there's, you know, something that maybe you can take 
with you, you know, as you move forward with this loss. I think that's so important. I think um, grief can can make you want to shut down and close up. And I loved how you pushed yourself um, beyond your comfort zone and tried something that ended up being so restorative to you. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Rosenberg and Parker, LLC. Welcome back to Dana Being Dana. We are talking about grief and loss and losing a spouse or a partner. Um, can you guys talk about how you've explained your loss to your children? They were so little at the time of your partner or spouse's passing. What did you say? Well, um... My wife had been struggling with it for some time, and she had been in ICU for some time and um, reached a point where the doctor said, we've tried everything, there's, there's just nothing left. And so I, um, that was a difficult conversation to have with my children, but, you know, they were, um, I don't know my five-year-old was understanding it at the time, and probably was not, but I, they just talked about it and were open about it, and they... Um, I don't know. They 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 came through it somehow or another. Yeah. I think being direct is so important, especially to little ones who don't understand abstract phrases like they've passed away or mm -hmm. they're in a you know a better place or something like that. That's doesn't make sense to them. So using really frank language is difficult for us as adults, but for children, it really puts it um, in more concrete terms so that they can understand. So I've made sure to use that kind of language as well as just give them space to be open about their grief and talk about their dad um, and it, that it's not, you know, something that is should be awkward or um, faux pas or to cheer about their, their dad. So it's, um, I think, helped all of us go through the grief that way. Tell us about your experience as a single parent and raising your children on your own. I always need help when it relates to hair. <laughs> so uh, my daughter is now 13, um, but I've had a, a long journey of videos, of refers to salons and um, dealing with cousins and grandmothers and friends. So I've had to use a wide network. Um, as it relates to hair, because that is not my thing. But now you're the hair connoisseur. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you what YouTube channel to watch. <laughs> I do recall, I mean, I had daughters going through middle school and high school at the time, and I didn't have any sisters. So this whole middle school, high school thing was just, the girls were just a mystery. I right. walk around just trying to figure it out and make the best of it. And there you go. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've really learned to lean on my support system and, um, I've mastered asking for help and I've mastered accepting help. And that was something that I struggled with a lot because I feel like I just try to do everything on my own. And that's when I noticed that I was feeling overwhelmed and, and beat down from life. And I, I started asking for help and that made an upward turn in my situation. Yeah. 
So utilize your support system. That's right. Yes. That's right. We all need somebody to lean on. Um, you all are, are fabulous parents and you're raising these beautiful children on your own. Some of them are, are grown now. What about your spouse or partner do you see in your kids? Because I know they are showing you traits, showing you energy um, that is reminiscent of your loved one. I see all the good things. Uh, I enjoy just being around my children and, and watching them and interacting with them because I see so much of my wife. Mm -hmm. And it's such a strong feeling that way. And, and I just, it's, <laughs> it's nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. For um, my daughter, it's just one now, but she, I watch her and when I watch her, I, I can notice that she sees the world differently than I do. And that reminds me of my partner, Jason. He always, he was a visionary. Yes. He never saw things as a normal person. He always saw them differently. So when I'm watching her, I, I can see that she sees things in a different way. And, and that reminds me. She looks just like him. She do, That too. They say she looks that just too. like him, yes. but has your fire. Yes. Which is a beautiful yes. combination. Great combination. Beautiful little girl. <laughs> beautiful little girl. Yes. What are you most proud of when it comes to your children? I think that when I think about my two kids is the ways they've simply gone out into the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's typical that parents want to give kids a better life than they've had. But I also think there are ways in which my two children have forged their paths. And so my son is an athlete. And even though I was on the wrestling team for one year in high school, He's forged his own path um, in terms of sports. And, you know, beyond I can be supportive, but I wasn't a coach or a say, hey, I played this sport and I can show you. Um, my daughter has a lot of compassion and sensitivity, which people saw in her mother at this same age. So mm -hmm. I see the way she wants things to be fair and just, particularly for her friends. And she's often been in situations where she speaks up for other of her peers. Sounds like a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so I have other children. I mean, Leilani can't really, she's not capable of doing anything other than, you She's know. walking. <laughs> yes, walking. I'm proud of her for walking. <laughs> but I have other children who have, you know, through the loss of Jason that have been affected as well. Mm -hmm. And um, my oldest niece, she has used this grief that she's um, going through as motivation um, she had a lot of um, long rides with Jason. They talked about making a difference in the world. And so she has really thrown herself in, in the idea of climate change and having a positive impact into the world um, because she wants to honor Jason in some way, shape, or form. And so I'm proud of her for using something that is painful and utilizing it as a means to do something good. Mm, that's great. What advice do you have for people who are navigating that first year of loss? Whew. I know, Abby, you're still, you're still in it. Yes, yes. recent for you. Mm -hmm. Yes. That first year is rough. Um, yeah. I mean, no it doesn't doubt. get any better, but it is particularly rough. Mm -hmm. So in terms of advice, I don't even know. I mean, just be around people um, or if it's your time to grieve on your own, take your time to grieve on your own and don't let anybody else be telling you, well, you, why are you still grieving or you should do it this way or do it that way. There's well-meaning people, mm -hmm. doesn't always work. And, and a lot of those first, you know, first Mother's Day, um, 
first anniversary, anniversary of the passing. Those yeah. were particularly rough. Yeah, holidays. Yeah. Yep. Well, milestones are tough, but I, I think in some ways you can prepare for them and, and sort of know how they go. For me, it was really difficult, those unexpected moments. I remember, you know, doing laundry shortly after I lost Scott and having to fold socks. And it was socks that undid me because I, I saw his socks and didn't, you know, it was it was not part of the routine anymore. And so mm -hmm. those little things that sneak up on you that you don't expect were particularly hard. And you may need couple days to recover from that and you know Christmas goes by and you're okay but it's it's different for everybody and that's true I think that's so important for people to remember yeah. that it really is different for everybody so you know if you're, you're you're going through the seven stages of grief you start with shock and denial you and that's that's what I went through I was numb and I was in disbelief as to what just happened what what is going on is this is this reality um, and then you go through the pain and the loss and the guilt, and then and then it turns into anger, mm. and then after the anger, you get depressed. You you're like I, I was having a hard time getting out of bed for for two weeks. I just did not have the strength or the energy to get up. Mm. Um, and then finally, you know, you kind of did an upturn for me, and I started thinking about how can I honor him. I can't honor him in the state that I'm in. I got to do something. And so I'm like, you know what? He wants me to succeed. Yes. I'm going to go open my own practice. I'm going to open his restaurant. I'm going to just keep going and honor him and give it my all. Mm -hmm. And that has brought life back to me. And now I'm looking forward to the future. Um, and then the acceptance. You know, you, you have to start a new life without this person. But it doesn't mean they're completely gone. They're, they're inside you, yes. inspiring you, motivating you, loving on you. You touched on this, but I want to ask the group, you know, how does the legacy of your loved one live on? I was fortunate um, to be married to a woman who was a policy expert on vulnerable children, both internationally and domestically. And at one time I was in politics while she was doing that. And so I've continued to fight for social justice, um, particularly continue to advocate for children, particularly children of color, and to inspire my own kids to take um, social justice in their own ways. And we're fortunate to live in a community that motivates kids. And so in Evanston, Black Lives Matter became something that was often led by middle school and high school kids. Wow. And my kids were part of those types of efforts. So I think the way I can keep speaking up for my kids and for particularly kids of color in general, I keep alive the kind of work and the kind of person she was. Well, like you shared, um, Scott was a filmmaker and incredibly creative mind, but all of his projects uh, he had in mind, how can he make the world a better place? And in particular, he was working on a documentary about children with um, a rare childhood disease that wasn't getting the attention and the research and the medical attention that it needed. And um, I knew that it was something that I could not let go unfinished. Um, and that was one of those situations where the people that show up are unexpected and his filmmaker community surrounded me and gave me the uh, support and, and resources I needed to continue the film. And um, I'm happy to say that that has continued and we're filming now and it's just been a wonderful way to keep him close to me and continue his legacy of what he started out to do. 
there are so many people that come to me and tell me stories about a conversation they've had with her that really made a difference. And I, I know the amount of, of um, empathy she had, how intuitive she was, and how caring and concerned about all people. And the people would come up to me and just say, this, this conversation made a huge difference to me, or this conversation turned me around, or this conversation really got me through something. And that is, that is an incredible legacy. I, I, so many, she touched so many people. Um, and I actually you know, feel a little sorry for the people that never got to meet her. Yes, yes. You all had such a blessed opportunity um, to love very special people. And I'm so thankful that we've had a chance to honor them here. So thank you so much for joining me. This is Dana being Dana. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Stay in the know at home or on the go with NCTV 17 News Update. This quick recap of everything happening in and around town will be delivered straight to your email inbox for free. Sign up today. This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Rosenberg and Parker, LLC. Welcome back to Dana Being Dana. Joining me now is Heather Parker, who is a estate planning attorney. Can you talk about the importance of estate planning? Well, the term estate planning can be overwhelming. People think that it applies only to the extremely wealthy and the people that have significant assets to protect, but it really applies to everyone. In its simplest terms, it just means making a plan for the control of your assets and your beneficiaries at the time of your death and at the time of your incapacity. So, and it's true that um, there's a plan in place by law that will happen unless you do something different. There like, is. Like a will. Correct. If you don't have a will, the state has a plan for you. It's laid out in the Illinois Probate Club code um, that is the law of intestate succession. So the best way to have control over that, make sure that your plan um, complies with your family's values and priorities is to sit down with an estate planning attorney and go through and make a plan for the, um, with a will and a trust for your assets and your beneficiaries at the time of your death. Um, and also we can do some planning uh, for times of incapacity as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the differences between a will and a trust? Yes, so a will only controls things when, you're, when you pass away. So a will is a document that gets in place and you can name nom nominate guardians for your children and you can also say where your assets go when you pass away. Um, a will has to go through a probate process in court and at that time they would administer your estate that way. A trust is more of a living document that actually does the same thing that a will does, but also can uh, control your assets in the time of your uh, incapacity. So it can name a successor trustee that can make decisions for you and control your assets if you're unable to make those decisions yourself. Well, let's talk a little bit more about incapacity, because I think especially now when so many people have fallen ill, um, I think it's so important to talk about what is the medical, the medical power of attorney. Um, and, and how people can go about doing that. Correct. Your previous guests so lovingly told the stories of, of their loved ones in the hospital mm -hmm. with prolonged illness and some sudden, but at times when they were in the ICU. And it's very common for people to have um, instances in their lives when they're not able to make decisions for themselves. So through medical powers of attorney or an advanced healthcare directives, you can name someone to make medical decisions for you. And in that document, actually designate what your preferences are for that care. 
Um, there were also documents we also prepare are HIPAA releases so people can have access to your medical records. Um, those can be active immediately. A lot of my clients who have kids uh, who are their kids, their <laughs> adult children that are going to college, they want to make sure that they can have access to their medical records if something happens to them while they're away at school or at work. Um, so those HIPAA releases allow the doctors to speak with your parents or your loved ones if you're not able to um, authorize that yourself. So you're saying when your kids are out of, uh, they live elsewhere, they live out of state, that enables parents to access the information? Correct. Once once that kid turns 18, they're still our kids. I know as parents, yeah. they're, they're right. still exactly. our kids to us. But they're adults. They're legally adults. We don't have access to their medical records. Yeah. So it's really important. A lot of my clients want that in place so they can make those decisions. Is uh, there a particular time that you recommend people do this or should they just do it when they don't necessarily need it so they have it? Correct. Yes. Yeah, something to plan for and have in place in advance. And it, it's really difficult. It's really hard decisions. So um, when you need it, often it's too late because someone has passed away. You can't plan um, if someone is, is passed um, and also or if someone's incapacitated. So it's something that, you know, as soon as you turn 18, if a parent wants to have access to medical records or access for financial records, that's something that they should call Right away, um, I have a lot of people call right after graduation and we get them taken care of before they go off to school the next year. But every adult in Illinois should have a will at a minimum. Um, and then in our office, when you work with us, then we get comprehensive plan, which includes the financial and medical powers of attorney. And also a living will. A lot of people do want to lay out their preferences for end of life care. Um, so that is something they should do. And that's uh, a great way right. to support your loved ones in the event of your untimely passing. Yeah. It's, a, it's an ultimate act of love. And what's more important even after you leave our office and you walk away with your binder with all of your documents is to talk to your family about your wishes. Let the trustee of the trust know that that's their role, what you would like to do, um, how you would like them to carry out your instructions. Um, we can provide you with a manual to, what's essentially what a trust is, is yeah. a manual to walk through what your desires are and what your intentions are and direct those things. But the, the next step is communicating that to your family, having those conversations to make sure that they will fulfill your wishes. Your plan is better than the state's plan. Absolutely, it always <laughs> is, yes. Grief is something we all experience at different times and in different ways. I hope this discussion is helpful to everyone who has lost someone close to them. May you feel comforted and not alone. May we all feel inspired to show up more for others with compassion and love for those grieving. And we allow them to do that in their own way and not in the way that we think they should be grieving. Thank you to my guests for joining me today and for trusting us enough here at NCTV to share your story. Special thanks to Rosenberg and Parker LLC for the work you do in this community to help people plan for the unexpected. Hopefully you have been entertained, if not encouraged or inspired. I do not promise to be an expert nor do I have all the answers. I'm just Dana being Dana. See you next time. This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Rosenberg and Parker, LLC. 